subscribe and rate it. Five stars. Good afternoon, Bobo. How are you doing today? Excellent. How are you? Excellent as well. We're recording this on Valentine's Day. Do you have any plans today? Um, I actually got stuck up here back at well, I'm back at home in Humboldt, so I'm going to hang out with the Chica tonight. Good move. A wise man. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's my plan as well, but just a different Chica, my wife, instead of uh, your girlfriend. <laughs> so. Or did you not know? <laughs> <laughs> well, tell Mel I said hi. All right. Hey, great day today. Speaking of Valentines and lovely people, we had a couple of guests at the NABC today. Bart Coutinho and Robert Leiterman dropped by. Oh, yeah. I saw them on the way. I, saw, I had uh, dinner with those guys on Thursday on their way up there. Yeah, yeah. Super nice guys, of course. And he had um, another guy with him. Um, Dan, I think his name was. I'd never met him before, and his name escapes me right now. And he probably listens to the podcast and thinks I'm a jerk now. I forgot too. He's cool though. He's from Ohio. He's originally from Southern Cal, but he's lived in Ohio, I guess, for 20 years or something. But he's a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. Letterman won Bigfoot of the Year again from Dan Perez, Bigfoot Times. Really? I did not yeah. see that. Two time winner. Oh, I should have seen that. I subscribe. I uh, yeah, I don't know. And um, yeah, I guess in January, is that when he uh, announced it or no? Uh, I, I just got home a couple of days ago. I got like two months worth of mail all at once. <laughs> oh, here's some advice. Pay those bills. Get your tax stuff ready if you're looking at two months of mail. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, great day so far. You have friends dropping by the museum and um, Valentine's Day things to look forward to. It hailed a little while ago. Quite, uh, I don't know, an eventful day. And it hasn't even stopped yet because you know who we have as a guest today. I know who we have guests, as guests today. And I could not be more excited. The new uh, bright stars of the paranormal world, Greg and Dana. Greg and Dana Newkirk. And I don't even know how to introduce them nowadays because I know they have the traveling paranormal museum, and but like they were, they've been all over the the, the scene for a long, long time. So let's we'll get into that when we start talking. Them. But Greg, Dana, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on and blessing us with your presence on our podcast today. Holy Hello. cow! Thank you. I'm I'm just psyched to be here and hear your voices. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of a better way to spend Valentine's it's the Day. Perfect Valentine's Day. So many people tell us that there's no better <laughs> Valentine's Day than hanging out with Cliff and the Bobes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> Romantic magic. <laughs> Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And Bobo and I have literally been speaking about having you guys on for years. But, you know, believe it or not, you're fairly hard to nail down. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. We, yeah. Even when I invite you on and we, have, we schedule it, it turns out you double book yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do a whole lot of podcast stuff these days. Um, we, you know, we make an exception for you guys and a couple thank other you. people. But, yeah, we're, you know, we're toiling away in our goblin cave. <laughs> we are. <laughs> well, speaking of Valentine's Day, you guys have a kind of a cool origin story oh yeah oh we gosh. do dana and i met because we ran rival ghost hunting websites on geocities when we were teenagers geocities, geocities. dates us completely <laughs> yep. absolutely dates us yep. yes we had right we had 
sparkly uh, backgrounds and dancing skeletons all over our websites. And well, you might have. Not all of me. <laughs> Come on, all man. I had classic. my cracked version of Photoshop making my own graphics That's on true. There. Greg's <laughs> website did look much better than ours, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, but see, Dana, Dana and her friends, they had an all-female team. We did. And me and my friends, we all had an all-boy team. And Which honestly isn't that rare, though, Greg, to be fair. That's true. That is pretty We're, common. That's, yeah. Especially in the paranormal, for sure. <laughs> Uh, but Dana and her friends, they all got a television show. We did. And we were all a bunch of butthurt boys about it. And so we had to torment them. They, yes. And uh, then we didn't speak for many, many years. And now we're married. <laughs> now we're married. How did that happen? <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> I love it. Does that eight. mean Bobo and I have to marry Bryce Johnson and somebody on the Expedition <laughs> Bigfoot show? <laughs> <laughs> Like uh, Russ and Bryce are are, are brides to be soon. I don't know. Hey, only if I get an invitation <laughs> to yeah, that see. wedding. <laughs> I may have. We may have you perform it if that's the case. I don't know. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> no, you know, Melissa and I dug up um, Dana's uh, TV show. What, what was it called, Dana? I don't remember. Oh, it was called the Girly Ghost Hunters. And- that's right. So <laughs> terrible, demeaning name. Like that. I remember, and, yes. and, and she and I watched several episodes and and had a good laugh about it. Just and how how fun it was for us and then probably how not fun it is for you to talk about (laughs) it it's one of those things that i think uh, i definitely have it's it's definitely cringy (laughs) if anything there there's a lot of early 2000s fashion so there's a lot of bucket hat there's a lot of bad fashion choices that got but you know captured forever on film was so also very common in the paranormal bigfoot world i might add (laughs) (laughs) very very true true. i Um, mean the one thing i love about it is you they if you watch they always have their purses on them. We do. That's constantly. kind of like a, That's like your weird call sign. You yeah. always have your purses. It's like an odd. I remember years ago, I think that the full series was on YouTube for a little while. And I remember like doing the one cardinal thing you're not supposed to do. And I looked at the comments <laughs> <laughs> and it ruined my week. But the one of the, the questions that like people reoccurringly ask, which makes me like die of laughter today is, why do these girls have purses everywhere that they go? Because we literally, I, and we must not have realized it at the time, but we were literally carrying our, our purses with us. Oh, everywhere. you were the girly ghost hunters. Yeah. But I mean, so it's, pre- it's pretty cringy, but at the same time, I kind of look back fondly at yeah. uh, getting the chance to kind of investigate a lot of places in Ontario that have never allowed people to ghost hunt in, inside of them and, and kind of really trusted us to not, uh, you know, make a fool of the each one of the buildings we you just made fools kids, of ourselves you were just did you guys kids. carry uh, anything special in your purses like related to ghost hunting or just lip we gloss? did i think a lot there was definitely lip gloss in there but there <laughs> we again because our, our group is you know a, we most of us were very metaphysically minded so there was probably a lot of crystals there was probably a lot of dowsing rods and all sorts of like tarot cards that kind of stuff because i was sort of and still really kind of is uh, our angle for ghost hunting was to kind of utilize a lot of those metaphysical tools. <laughs> you know, I, I totally get the, you, you want to have a backpack on you or some, or a purse, yes. if, you know, if society, if the culture allows you to carry one and if they don't allow you to carry one, then you have a, you have a fanny pack. Yeah. You know, like Moneymaker really always pack. had a fanny yeah. pack cause he can carry a purse. <laughs> or self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I always had a backpack because again, I said this is my purse. No, it's a, it's a backpack because it has another strap on it, but it's a purse. We all know. <laughs> oh See, yeah, there it's you a go. Immerse, 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 a pack pack. 
<laughs> now, um, some of you might be saying, Greg and Dana Newkirk, that kind of sounds familiar. Where do I know those names from? Um, but because we have a largely Bigfoot crowd and a little bit of Beyond as well, right? And you guys clearly represent the Beyond um, more so than the Bigfoot. Although, it's a gray area, shall we say. But you were guests on Finding Bigfoot in our Mount Shasta episode, um, where Bobo jumped off and, and did paranormal stuff. And Greg and Dana are the lovely couple that kind of headed that team with, uh, with uh, Reggie Bird, um, the great Bigfoot out of Walla Walla. And of RPG. course, RPG, who's gone on to other things as well. We had him on just a few weeks ago on our podcast here. Um, so talk about that experience a little bit, because that's something that probably a lot of our listeners have can can share in. You know, they've seen that episode that they may be able to recognize who you are now because we're putting names to faces and voices and stuff. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Um, and, and mostly, you know, Bobo and, and Greg and Dana. Tell, talk about what you guys learned or didn't learn or whatever else by doing that show. Dude, that is still like the high watermark for some of the television stuff we've done. Easily. It was so much fun and it was so out of left field. I remember when the producers called, uh, they said, Hey, you know, we're the, we're the producers of Finding Bigfoot. We were doing an episode that's all about supernatural Bigfoot sightings. And I don't know if you know anything about the crew, but they don't really want to touch that subject. <laughs> so we need people to come in and, and kind of like harass them for a week and, and uh, drive them crazy with all these insane theories. And I thought that was the funniest thing. Yeah, we Mission were accomplished. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Exactly. We were like, okay, we're there. And, and so we ended up coming out and uh, spending a little over a week with you guys uh, all over Mount Shasta, chasing weird sightings, looking into UFOs and ghostly Bigfoots and stuff like that. And still, to this day, like I said, that remains one of the most fun shoots that we've ever done. Um, obviously, you know, we're still in touch. You guys, we became friends with you guys. And everyone's always asking us all the time, how legit are the shows that you're on. And there's always a certain level of producing on the shows, but I'm quick to always say finding Bigfoot was the, the most legit mm -hmm. show because there, the, the amount of producing was this, let's find a spot where there's something you guys already, like you were finding spots on camera yeah, on camera, and then just dropped off in the woods. And they're like, all right, go find Bigfoot. Yeah. And, and, and it blew my mind because it's not that way. You guys know it's not that way on many shows, many shows. They kind of already have their, their story arc. They know where it's going to go. Um, and, and you know, every, it's not fake, but it's very produced and finding Bigfoot was not that. And that's part of the reason why it was so stinking much fun with you guys. Yeah. It was a like legitimate adventure every single night. Yeah. And it was very cool to see people who trusted the the experts like yeah. there was there seemed to be a level of trust there that i think is very very awesome and it was a true adventure and once moneymaker realized that we weren't like finding bigfoot the new class or anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> once, we weren't there to like try and take anybody's jobs <laughs> we, were, uh, yeah. everybody, we all got along great and it was it was so fun i still have so many stories i love to tell about that that time that we spent together because it was so much fun. The network's going to replace us with this new couple, Greg and Data. Do not. <laughs> <laughs> we were just like, we're just here to, we, to we had, be weird. Yep. We had no idea what we were doing. We were just there to uh, have fun and get weird with it. And, and weird mess we with did. Reggie. 
and mesh with Reggie. Oh, Reggie. Reggie's awesome. Well, I think Reggie listens, so here's your chance to say hi to him. Oh, Reggie, hi, awesome. we miss you. We miss you, Reggie. We need to go on another supernatural Bigfoot hunt with you yes. soon. That's so funny because he's he doesn't even think they're supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just bother we'll just bother him this time. I distinctly remember Reggie's amazing Bigfoot call. Yeah. And that he the first time he let her rip, he he screamed so loud he gave himself an instant headache. <laughs> 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 he, was, he was like down and out for like ten minutes. <laughs> but it was an epic, was epic so call. It was so um, good. Uh, you guys were there too when we did the town hall meeting and that lady thought that it was me, Cla- it was me, Cliff and Renee were talking with Reggie. And she thought Reggie was Matt Moneymaker. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> well, we went to that bar afterwards. So we went to that yeah. bar and we we're saying, yeah, yeah. That, like, and that's Matt Moneymaker pointing to Reggie. Oh, uh, my <laughs> God. That is so funny. That's amazing. I still have this like very distinct visual image that sometimes I'll just be sitting there watching TV or reading a book or something. And this visual image will pop into my head of being on the top of this mountain. There was, was a, there was was a helicopter day. Yeah. It was like helicopters flying. Like we, we were literally like, and we'd never experienced like this was our first real television. Uh, yeah. Gig. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, aside from Dana having yeah. a whole ass TV show, but we definitely didn't have helicopters we, on Girl yeah. Ghost Hunters. I can promise you that. <laughs> so I remember well, yeah, sitting, with, the, with, the, with the purse budget, it, the it was purse out of budget budget. Oh. Right. I remember standing there and the helicopter, we're waiting on the helicopter and Moneymaker's standing there vaping with a BB gun, just like <laughs> shooting these tin cans. And I looked at Dana and I went, this is so surreal. <laughs> I've been waiting for a helicopter while Matt Moneymaker is just shooting a BB gun. And I think, uh, somebody was arguing with somebody about something because there were, there were these like crazy, you guys had these like all terrain vehicles oh, yeah, that was... you were bombing around in. Oh, yeah. oh, and I think it was Renee. Renee couldn't drive it well, I think was the deal. I don't remember. Somebody, there was some argument about Renee's driving yeah, and I then th- Moneymaker like putting his BB gun away because he was like fl- flashing it around. It was great. <laughs> it was I loved it. It was so much fun. That was my BB that, gun. That was your <laughs> BB gun? That oh, that's it. right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's wow. the only one that we can trust Bobo with. It can't have a <laughs> <laughs> I got both. Yeah, I, I do remember the all-train vehicles because I chose to ride with Matt that, that day. Because I, I think that Renee was driving the other one. And, you know, she if I'm going to – Renee or Matt driving, Matt's a lot more fun to ride with because he goes really fast. And, you know, it's scary. It's horrifying. But he never, ever, ever crashes. Or almost <laughs> never crashes, I should say. Um, but uh, you, you feel like you're going to die, but you almost certainly aren't going to. So it's always a good ride. So <laughs> I mean, that's why I chose to go with Matt that day, if I remember correctly. Well, so. we got to hang out with Bobo for most of the shoot, too, mm-hmm. which was awesome. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I remember at the end of the week, like you were winning him over. It's like, wow. no, Bobs, don't go there. No, <laughs> no. By the end of the week, Bobo had the, you had your tinfoil hat on uh-huh. and we were bringing you over to the, uh, to the weird side, the weirder side. I should say. I, I, was well, just I thought I was all, I thought I was safe with my tinfoil hat until Greg blew my mind and said <laughs> it traps the beams in there and they bounce around and do more damage. I was like, I was shocked. It's an amplifier, man. <laughs> of course. It's like an antenna. It's like, yeah. haven't you ever like put like tinfoil on your bunny antenna ears. on your bunny ears for your television, <laughs> your old TV? I, s- I swear to God, you can walk in my living room right now and yes, I got tinfoil on the brow of the ears. That's why you don't put the tinfoil on your head. You're just you're making the signal easier to receive. God, so true. When you told me that, I was just like, I've been doing this all wrong. 
what a fool I've been. <laughs> so I turned it For inside now more, out. more reasons. <laughs> I just turned the inside, I turned the tinfoil hat inside out and then it worked. There you go. Oh yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I like that logic. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> So now you've, you've gone on, of course, to bigger and better things than finding Bigfoot. I mean, I, I think that most noteworthy, or I don't know, I'm going to say most, although I, I, it's not fair for me to say that because I'm not, not 100% sure of everything you've done. So, um, but I, but gosh darn it, I loved Hellier to me. And I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say my honest truth and I love you guys. And I hope that nothing I say is insulting because I enjoyed it. But, but to me, Hellier was like a, the, the Seinfeld of, um, paranormal stuff. Cause it was a, it was a paranormal investigation kind of about nothing. <laughs> it's, it's the kind of perfect way to put it. Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult project to describe. And it, it starts, is, it starts as one seemingly very, uh, easy to digest idea and then just sort of slowly unravels into a group of people losing their minds and trying to grapple with a lot of a lot of what paranormal investigation is which is tons of dead ends uh, and then all of a sudden this new piece of information that's very interesting and very intriguing and nothing is quite as it feels like it is um it's a it's a very the Seinfeld of of the paranormal is a very interesting way to put it. I think that's, that's great. Nice. <laughs> I I couldn't describe it like when I was trying to describe what it was to a couple people. They're like, "Wait, what?" what? I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> I don't think it's going to get any easier to describe as as we keep going. No, people always ask us to sort of like have like a condensed elevator pitch of what Hellier is, and it's sort of impossible to do because it really. I mean, the best way to kind of describe it, I guess, is just watching a group of investigators really wholeheartedly tumble down a rabbit hole and just mm-hmm. sort of allow, try and claw their way out. Try to claw their way out, exactly. Yeah, well, people <laughs> several love it, rabbit man. holes. It's, it's gotten. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten really popular. I mean, you guys have blown up with that thing. We're we. I'm I'm constantly astounded by the audience that it's found because you know it. it it was something that was a labor of love. We went out to make like a, a an hour and a half long documentary. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, you know, it was almost like catfish you know, where we had this sort of idea about what was going on. You know, there's this guy in, in this little town in Eastern Kentucky by the, by the name of Hellier. And he sent an email years ago to us that said, I've got little men coming out of a mine shaft on the edge of my property. And then just disappears. And so we Well, there thought, were footprints associated with it, too. There was oh, actually yeah. physical evidence going along with this. There, there were footprints, um, little three-toed footprints. There were photos that sort of, you know, in, in a typical fashion, very blurry, but appear to show these little entities peeking around trees. And there's, there's other weird elements, too. There's, there's the, you know, the person who told them to get in touch with us. Uh, he was the only reference to this name, which is obviously, uh, you know, a nom de guerre, uh, Terry R. Wrist, which sounds like terrorist. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only place <laughs> that that's ever appeared in, in the paranormal is an old, really weird, esoteric book about ritual magic and aliens uh, called A Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. And... All of these weird little things just kind of led us to go, well, let's make this documentary series. In fact, it was our our director and editor, Carl, who was like, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. And I even, I remember even saying to him, like, are you sure? Because like, this does not feel like a sure thing. Like we could go to this town. I don't, you know, this town's in Eastern Kentucky. We we went out there once uh, and it's kind of sketchy. 
So uh, he had this synchronicity where all these things pointed him to say, we have to go do this. I feel really strongly we have to go do this. And what ended up, you know, was supposed to be an hour and a half long documentary turned into a five episode series with a, a follow-up 10 episodes series uh, season very quickly afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, it sat in the can for a year or two yeah. while we tried to figure out what to do with it. But no one, no television network understood. Well, it's such a it's such a weird thing too because it's it's a definitely a slow burn and it's sort it's of about very nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, apparently, networks don't like that when you. <laughs> it's not about nothing. It's about a journey. You're mm-hmm. following a group of people on a on a journey, investigating a lot of dead ends and understanding like. The way that I've been describing it, because it changes to me depending yeah, on depending does. on what we're doing and where it's going. You know, if you'd asked me what it's about season one, I would have told you one thing. If you asked me season two, you know, I've got a completely different idea about it. But it feels to me personally that people are witnessing the journey of magicians, mm-hmm. um, people who are going through an initiation uh, to become magicians or become better magicians and. I realize that for your audience, that might sound kind of crazy, and it is. It, it really is. Um, I've learned more about ritual magic because of our investigation into goblins yeah. than I ever would have ever. I would have never been compelled. But now, I know so much about ritual magic and the occult, not to mention ufology, uh, that I never would have picked up on if it wasn't for this show. And uh, I do think it's going somewhere. I just, I just don't quite know where. And neither did the networks. So they, <laughs> they, <laughs> they all were like, "Well, how about this? Um, we're going to find a goblin every episode in a different part of the country." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "What do you mean, find a goblin?" And they're basically like, "You know what I mean." And we just a, a goblin wouldn't wink. do it. We just wouldn't do it. So we risked it and we put it out ourselves. And I think it's been viewed like three million three and a half million times or something like that now and it's turned it's turned into this thing that's i never we never would have expected and and are very flattered that people enjoy it and that's a credit to carl carl's a really great cinematographer thanks man I, i appreciate it stay tuned for more bigfoot and beyond with cliff and bobo we'll be right back after these messages It was a lot of fun to watch. You know, it, it was just a blast. Although you're, you're just like having me yell at the TV. It's like, okay, you're in, you're in a cabin in Kentucky. You hear tree knocks. You're getting yelling too. thrown at you from the woods. <laughs> Quick, what do we do? There might be a Bigfoot here. I'll tell you what, let's put on, let's put on blinders and earphones so we can't see or hear anything at all. That'll solve the problem. <laughs> hey, all only in a one of us had those on. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed, I laughed, I laughed, but at the same time I'm thinking, did you learn nothing from finding Bigfoot? <laughs> I mean, we were all talking about how it felt like a, a very squatchy thing mm-hmm. to to experience, but at the time, you know, my I'm in goblin land. Yeah. My brain is like my brain's thinking like supernatural, ultra terrestrial, uh, partially physical goblins, not necessarily Bigfoot. It's weird how that stuff happens in the aftermath. You you think back on it and then sure. you're like, oh, maybe we should have done this or we should have done that. But yeah, I was like when we were in Pennsylvania, and I told Cliff and Matt, I just saw a shadow man. 
because we just came from doing like sort of. Oh, that was Ohio, and, Ohio, by the way. We just come from Pennsylvania where we'd done the the ghost thing and all that stuff. We were talking about ghosts. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah. We talked to those witnesses who thought they had a shadow man living in their house, and then the uh, next episode in Ohio. Oh wow. Yeah, Bobo thought he saw a shadow man, but it no, it was a Sasquatch actually. Oh, so, wow. We're very like we try to be uh, multidisciplinary, where we're you know we kind of have our our fingers and toes and all these different aspects, and you know sometimes it's it's difficult to know which one you're leaning into, which one you want to lean into, and sometimes you don't even think about it at the time. So you know during the the time of that cabin, absolutely. I mean, and even interviewing people in Hellier, there were people. There was a guy who actually handed me remember the Boy Scout patch. There was a guy who handed me a Boy Scout patch in Hellier uh, that had a Bigfoot on it because mm-hmm. they'd seen so many Bigfoot sightings mm-hmm. around that area. But to me, I really do think all that stuff is kind of all part of the same weird scope. But I, I understand that's that's just us. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not just you. It's a lot of people. I, Tom Powell's one of these people. And Tom Powell's oh, yeah. a good friend of mine. Tom, I, I call it he's going after the grand unification theory of paranormal because I yes. the GUT. It's, a, it's, a, it's an acronym for grand unification theory. That is it's really more of a physics thing, cosmology and physics, mm-hmm. like you know, math science, basically, trying to unite all of the forces, you know, gravity, the strong and weak force, et cetera, et cetera, in to one um, coherent formula that explains all of it, the grand unification theory. Um, and I, I see some of my friends in the paranormal doing that exact same thing, mm-hmm. trying to connect the dots between them. And I think that's admirable because um, I've, I, I don't like, you know, you guys know me. I don't think there's anything paranormal about Bigfoot. I just think they're weird animals. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean there's not paranormal stuff happening in somewhere else in the world or all the time around oh, sure. us. Um, and I, I am very often um, curious, especially when I talk to people who claim that Sasquatches are speaking to them inside their head or, mm-hmm. you know, doing this or that to them that no other animal could possibly do. It's like, how do you know that's a Bigfoot, man? Just because you're looking for a Bigfoot and something weird happens does not make that thing a Bigfoot. It could be sure. any number of weird whatevers fooling you and just go, oh, oh they think we're Bigfoots. Let's go with that. I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, like I, I talked to one guy who had this weird experience one time, um, talking to these things or whatever. And, um, and, uh, I said, well, what were they? I don't know what they were. I asked them, uh, this person says, like, I asked them if they were aliens and they said, sure, we're aliens. Sure. If that doesn't scare you, sure. <laughs> you know? And, and so there, I, I am full on board with something else far weirder than Bigfoot's out there. Just pretending to be whatever makes you comfortable. Yeah. So well, I'm on board with the GUT thing. What if they're just uh, they're just posing as Bigfoots sometimes because they, yeah. they know that people are less are less frightened of Bigfoot than they would be of maybe a, a gray alien or something. Mm-hmm. Well, she'd go with Ronald McDonald or something besides Bigfoot if they're trying to be less scary. Are you, you don't think Ronald McDonald is horrifying? <laughs> Can you imagine running into Ronald run, McDonald yeah. in the woods? Running at that me would in the be woods. Worse. I, yeah, be, Leave it, I mean, he does wear giant shoes. <laughs> I think we might be onto something here. And that's I mean, true. That's, it's not even uncommon for the, those types of kind of crossover to exist in like a lot of these different sort of paranormal subcultures. Like if you if you dip your toes into the ufology world. There's often reports of, I mean, like one of the most common is uh, people seeing large owls. Owls tend to be like this visual that they they see an owl and they think it's a screen memory. It's something that's kind of like keeping their actual abduction or their actual, uh, you know, interaction with potential alien life uh, uh, in, into a safer space mm-hmm. in their minds. They don't freak out. 
but that's that kind of crossover you see a lot specifically when you start to look into like the high strangeness spaces the spaces of like really weird instances of people either having experiences with you know ufos or aliens or even in the ghost spaces you Mm -hmm. see that sometimes too Mm -hmm. i mean i i I think about you know the ideas that i've I've heard about you know bigfoot using infrasound Mm -hmm. or um, you know some people feel like they're they're kind of in a daze or in a trance when they're around them hypnotized that type of thing i've heard the same exact reports when it comes to ghosts i've heard the same exact reports when it comes to uh extraterrestrial encounters so there's there's is a level of crossover that i see as someone who tries to remain fairly agnostic about it all uh otherwise i'd go crazy um there is an interesting level of crossover sometimes and i think that uh if more if more bigfoot hunters talked to more paranormal investigators and paranormal investigators talk to, you know, ufologists. Um, everyone might not agree or see eye to eye, but I think that they would, they would find interesting commonality that would maybe help each other find more answers. Yeah. I call it pre-normal, not paranormal. It's just paranormal now because we don't have the smarts to understand it or the science to record it and measure it. But I think eventually it'll all be normalized. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I, I agree. I love that. Putting it. Well, I've actually received some owl reports before, like a seven-foot owl was seen on the side of the road and flew over some people's car. I Dude. thought that was really weird, you know, because they said, yeah, weird, right? And these guys were driving, a man and a woman were driving down the road. They saw a seven-foot stump, and then they said, and I, so I was thinking, oh, I know where this is going because I'm Mr. Smarty Pants. <laughs> it knows everything, right? Said so the stump's going to run away. No, it didn't run away. It, it, it stretched out its wings and flew over the car. And I go, whoa, that's an odd one. And then um, only a few months ago now, four or five, six months ago, uh, Melissa's sister knows somebody in Pennsylvania that apparently saw a giant owl of some sort. Wow. That wow. is so strange. So, we, so now, Dana, I, know, I heard you mention uh, screen memories, which I guess mm-hmm. are more comforting memories than what you actually happened. It's like you're, mm-hmm. some psychological phenomenon. Um, do you think that's something like either, or there were a screen memory of giant owls, some sort of archetype thing, or even sightings of weird giant bird things like owls, you know, like these, could that be behind something like Mothman or something? Or is it, is it not that common? Cause Mothman seems to be like a singular, um, nexus of events. Mm-hmm. Like I don't see a widespread Mothman phenomenon, but these owl things, I'm starting to wonder. I think, I think that there's, at least in my opinion, I would think of them as kind of two separate instances. I think of Mothman, Mo- I mean, Mothman's like the, the most iconic cryptid to a degree, I guess, high strangeness cryptid. And like you said, you know, there's so much strangeness that happened around the, the experience itself, but coming up against or in hearing about, you know, giant owls and, and it, it's so strange because the reason Greg is freaking out, I don't know <laughs> if you like want to talk about no, this because it is kind of like a, it's sort of a, a synchronicity. It was, a, it was maybe. a synchronicity, exactly. <laughs> which is uh, you, your take a shot, everybody. Choice. Yeah. <laughs> when we were in Hellier, our first night in Hellier, one of the people that came to talk to us um, at the gas station that we were at was adamant about a seven foot tall owl. He he had seen a seven foot tall owl, and again, like the thing about the owl instances often aren't that their their size is really different. They just People will just see owls. There's a guy. There's a guy by the name of Mike, Mike Cleland, Cleland yeah. who has been doing a lot of research onto the the, the whole like owl slash uh, you know uh, UFO high strangeness stuff, and um, he he believes that 
when people start to see these owls, they don't understand that there's something wrong with the owl, that mm-hmm. the owl is like six or seven feet tall. Yeah. Every once in a while, they'll snap out of it. But he believes, and a, and a lot of UFO researchers believe that what they're seeing is they're seeing, uh, they're seeing basically an extraterrestrial or an ultra terrestrial, some strange entity not from our time or space yeah. that is uh, shielding itself, giving this like screen memory uh, as something else. So when it comes to when it comes to the difference between people seeing those and people seeing something like Mothman. Mm-hmm. Mothman was very distinct. Very, yeah. You know, he had he had red eyes. Like there was a Multiple very particular. Sightings. There were very particular sightings, and it wasn't like there weren't a whole lot of people who were experiencing like memory issues and yeah. things like that around it. There were also uh, one of the things details that's always really interesting. There, when people were having sightings with Mothman, there were couples. There were pairs of people. It wasn't mm-hmm. just one person kind of having a strange, mm-hmm. uh, strange experience. It was it was groups of people or pairs of people. But yeah, it, it, the it tends to, at least with Mothman, you know, there were a lot of very strange occurrences that happened around the sightings. Stranger than seven foot tall. Stranger than, yeah, stranger (laughs) than seven foot tall. Cliff, I don't even know if you know the story, but a guy we know who's well-respected, you know, by scientists and, you know, he's, he's a, you know, respected member of the, of the research community was driving across that bridge from Ohio to West Virginia where the Mothman stuff was. And he was going down there for some Bigfoot stuff and a giant owl man thing, whatever, some kind of huge bird type thing flew over his van and the wings were like from one side of the road to the other. Wow. He didn't get a good look at it, but he said it was like one in the morning. It was the craziest experience of his whole life by far. And he just said he couldn't, he, he still can't wrap his mind around it. Wow. I feel like those types of events leave echoes mm-hmm. and, and sometimes, you know, whether or not he, he legitimately saw the Mothman, uh, I think that a lot of those places where, where you experience some high strangeness um, and it affects a lot of people, I think that there are echoes and they, they exist and you can experience them and brush up against them. And I think we've experienced that a lot. And I think we, we experienced a little bit of that in Hellier. And I would be surprised if, you know, people have uh, an encounter with Bigfoot and it leaves such a psychic shock to them because there's this thing that they maybe were, were taught to believe isn't real and they see it, mm-hmm. uh, that can leave an effect. And I think that's, I think a lot of that is how we experience ghosts personally. Sure. That's I mean, a whole other. consider that it is in the moment of experiencing it, whether you believe it's an animal that hasn't been discovered or whether you believe it's something stranger, you, the person experiencing it has to go through an instant paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Like, well, oh, this is a real thing now. I live in a reality where this is a real thing. <laughs> and that has to leave some kind of, uh, you know, like Greg said, either psychic impression or even just, just whether it's something that is impactful on the person having the experience. It's, it's a pretty, it must be a pretty crazy thing to have that paradigm mm-hmm. shift. I see a lot of PTSD associated with that sort of thing, sure. uh, especially yeah. these hardcore hunters that were so sure that Bigfoots weren't real. And then they saw one yeah. and, and, and even, even after they have seen one and they're telling me, Oh, I saw one. It scared the hell out of there. They go on to very often continue to try to convince me they're real. Oh yeah. Mm. I said, dude, well, first of all, I know they're real. And second of all, you know, they're real too. We can drop that now. Yeah. Now we can talk about them like there's something else. 
I mean, yeah. that's just, I think that's a society thing too, sure. you know, and, and, and because of shows like Finding Bigfoot, that's changing. I think, I think we're in a better position to have serious conversations about this stuff than we were before your show existed. Uh, but there are still a lot of people out there who are very set in their ways and we're taught to believe these things don't, they, they don't exist. Any, we already know everything. Everything yeah. that there is to know about the world, we already know. And so if you see a giant, hairy man-ape, um, you're just crazy. <laughs> yeah, and the, you know, uh, in a way, we already knew about them, too. Because the, the phenomenon that I, I think are most interesting and therefore probably most likely to be real, I think, um, are, are associated with these historical um, occurrences. And, and, and what I mean by that are, okay, like UFOs. You can go mm-hmm. back as far as you want, as far as people have been writing things down. They've been talking oh, sure. about these things, right? Um, ape-like hairy dudes or whatever, Sasquatch sort of things. Yeah, okay, they're in the historical record. Ghosts, spirits, whatever, demons, all that kind of, whatever word you want to slap on, whatever those things are in the historical record. River, monster, serpent, they, those things are there too. Mm-hmm. I think it's the stuff that goes, if you if there's a hundreds, if not thousands of years uh, of, of history, um, behind these things, I think that has a very high probability of being real or as real as it, as anything else is, mm-hmm. you know, I, the, the, I, I don't want to get all John Tenney on here or anything, no. but, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, that, that's another issue is that most people, there is a damned history. There is history mm-hmm. that has been damned. Charles Fort was, was, you know, one of the earliest paranormal researchers digging up the damned facts, the history that people didn't want to pay attention to where there are sightings of, of things falling out of the sky and UFOs and ghosts and, and giant hairy men in the forest. Um, there's, there's things that were considered acceptable and things that weren't. And uh, like dog are, man. yeah. Like, what do you think about dog man? I was just going to ask you. I, I want to believe in Dogman. I think Dogman's so damn cool. I think the strangest thing about Dogman also is I feel like running in in a lot of the spaces that we are when we're investigating uh, Hellier, like when we're we're filming – we hear more often than not sightings of Dogman. Oh, yeah. People are are adamant about – their experiences and they're, they're people who live in very, very rural areas. They're very isolated, but like more often than not, that that tends to be something that will come up. And yeah, it's, it's, it's still sort of one of those experiences that kind of, I think people sort of scoff at a little bit. Like they're like, yeah. Oh, that can't be. Lee Kirkland yeah. saw one. Yeah. Oh See, yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. There's so many sightings of dogmen and, dog, and, and, Creatures like dogmen. Well, they're, love- they're in historical records too. I mean, the Egyptian god, I've got his mm. name, but there's all kinds of stories about it's oh, in the Bible. It's in. Mm-hmm. Well, who was that? There was the one, uh, the one saint who turned into a dog. Right. Oh, why can't it's not Christopher, is it? I, don't, I can't remember. I'm not Catholic. I don't know. I I I, I love the hell. idea of dogmen. <laughs> oh, I, I that, that that's that was sealed and delivered a long time ago, my friend. Um. Yeah, Dogman's super neat, but I, it just, it feels so wrong. <laughs> I, I guess that's the way to say it. it feels so wrong, but there are a lot of things. Like, I'm a firm believer in the idea of thought forms and egregores mm-hmm. and the idea that the more attention that you can give something, you can create it. Um, might not might not will it into physicality, but I think <clears throat> that you can put it in the mass consciousness and other people can experience it. In fact, like I think- Slenderman. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think most of the things that we deal with when it comes to ghosts, when it comes to haunted objects, I think a lot of that are thought forms and egregores. I think there are, you know, f- here's a perfect example. Dana and I, we've been doing this since we were kids. Um, we, we were super into ghosts as kids. And I've watched places that I used to go in, like abandoned buildings that had no sign of being haunted. They're featured on like one big paranormal reality show with some crazy story attached to it. And I know for a fact that wasn't real. That wasn't there when I was a kid. But then uh, paranormal investigators go to these places and they start to experience these things and, and very earnestly experience things that are scary that sound exactly like the story that was aired on television. And I think it's because these things have been uh, built up in, into the mass consciousness that when you go there, they do become real. And so I think the things like Dogman, even if it does f- maybe not feel like it's something that should or could exist. Sure. It probably can if enough people think hard enough about it. I hear more Dogman stuff these days than I ever did 20, 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. It's, it's getting huge. It's, it's yeah, I, I mean, because you can look in the archaeological fossil record and be like, okay, we got reason to think Bigfoot could be real. We had Jake and I put this, blah, 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 Australia put this. But with Dogman, I mean, there's just, no, I mean, <laughs> I, I, cannot, I cannot see that being some, you know, evolved creature through time. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's got to be it, to me. It's got to be paranormal, you know. Well, I, I'm a big fan of of Linda Godfrey's work when it comes to Dogman. You know, she started doing the the whole Beast of Bray Road stuff back yep. in the day as as a local reporter, and very uh, quickly started to lean into because it wasn't too many years ago that she wrote a book that was all about uh, Dogman sightings. And just mixed in with all these weird paranormal phenomena, like glowing balls of light, things moving and disappearing, ghosts and missing time. And she was very nervous about going that direction. And I, I think it was, I think it was pretty well received. But uh, that's where my head goes when I think of Dogman. I think of like paranormal phenomena, egregore, thought form type stuff. Um, there's a really famous experiment that was done in Canada uh, called the Philip Experiment. And a group of people got together and they said, let's come up with a a fake ghost and let's put all of our energy and intention into thinking of this fake ghost. They came up with his backstory. They drew what he looked like. They knew every every detail about him. And then they started holding seances. They would use Ouija boards. They do table tipping. uh, They do psychics. And the ghost started to talk to them. And it happened so much so regularly and with such force that they eventually got to the point where the only reason they stopped the experiment was because they got bored. It's, it's crazy. And I think that's one of the best examples of the idea of a thought form or an egregore. So, you know, when I, when I say things like, I think Bigfoot's a ghost, mm-hmm. what I'm, I mean, that's really just sort of a, an easily digestible way of talking about things like thought forms and egregores and stuff like that. One of the things that we see a lot in the paranormal spaces, and I think that it's something that I find absolutely fascinating, is you will have, uh, let's just say, any location in America that's a haunted place, a haunted hospital. And you'll have paranormal investigators go in and they'll investigate and and new groups every single night. And you just sort of have this free-flowing, you know, people that are kind of coming in and out of the location. And then the location will have someone come in and, and 
cross all the spirits over. So they're, they're cleansing the building. They're crossing spirits over They're They're kind of, they're doing everything that you need to do to get rid of go all, into the light, go into the light, all the, yeah, all of that good stuff. And then the next night, another group of paranormal investigators are back in and all of a sudden the activity continues on. Mm-hmm. And there's an, there, it happens so often that really, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that we can look at this, but the bottom line is I think a massive aspect of what we're really doing is via our own experience. That's See, there, if, if there weren't human beings thinking of these things, these things wouldn't exist. I think in some cases, sure. Sure. I mean, I, I leave I leave room for the existence of these things as individual uh, entities that that have their own thoughts and feelings and, mm-hmm. and exist somewhere else. But I do believe, you know, after twenty some years of of doing this, more than ever, that most of what we experience, at least as paranormal investigators, has something to do with human consciousness. Mm-hmm. I really do think that that's the case. Well, I was going to ask um, now a greater human, like an like, like a um, uh, like a mass subject- consciousness. Yeah, like a mass consciousness sort of thing, or an individual. Because I'm listening to the conversation, and the question that keeps coming up again in my mind is how much um, how much is subjective versus how much is objective. And at yes. the end of the day, does it really matter? Because we're all we're all subjects in our own stories, so to speak, you know. Um, yeah, but yeah, but so I, I, I think that my question here, yeah, like, does it matter? I guess because I know in Bigfoot land, um, people go out and experience exactly what they intend to experience. Whether yes. like you know, seek and ye shall find, even if yes. it's not there. Um, and I, it's got to bleed over to the other stuff too. I just yeah. don't look there, so. I, I think that it, I think it's a mix, but I do I do believe so. There's a, a, a researcher who died not too long ago. Um, in his, he dealt with uh, consciousness. He's the guy who built the God helmet. If if either of you are familiar with that, oh, uh, I'm very familiar with the God helmet. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Michael Persinger from Laurentian University. Uh, he he had this theory that that. You know, because the brain is is electric. Uh, the brain runs on very small amounts of electricity. It's it's how our neurons fire. He believed that there is a specific kind of uh, electromagnetism that encapsulates the Earth, and we, you know, animals can use it to to navigate. But he thinks that it's essentially almost like cloud storage. The Schumann resonance. I think the Schumann resonance is what he he attached it to. And he believes that that is almost like a cloud storage unit. So there are certain places, uh, certain emotional states, those things potentially are syncing us up with that cloud storage. That would explain ghosts. It would explain psychic phenomena. Um, it would explain you having a you know a, a a dream that someone's going to call you, and then they're thinking about that at the same time. They call you later, and I think that a lot of what we're doing is we're uh, and and this sounds. <laughs> I realize how this is going to sound, and I don't mean it to sound so like cynical. Well, but... we don't want you to sound weird or anything, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm less concerned about weird as I am cynical. <laughs> I, I I think that a lot of what we're doing is is we're we're sort of running programs all the time, and sometimes programs need adjustment, and so there can be these things that occur. Call them ghosts, call them you know alien abduction experiences, strange lights in the sky, psychic phenomena, whatever. When you look at the people who've had these types of experiences, oftentimes they are. Uh, forever change. Mm-hmm. The courses of their lives change, sometimes for the worse, uh, sometimes for the better. 
but they experience something that shakes them so much. Um, you know, uh, Carl, Carl Jung, the, the psychologist, he believed that UFOs were a sign that there was something wrong with the psyche of a people, of a culture. That when people started to see them, it was supposed to be there to remind us, like, hey, there's something bigger here. I think that paranormal experiences, um, and to me, that is a very wide variety of experiences. I think that paranormal experiences are sometimes a an, uh, an emotional or evolutionary way to shake us and make us change something. People always say the old trope about ghosts is ghosts have unfinished business. That's why they're here. But when you talk to someone who's experienced a ghost, you find out it's the person who experienced the ghost that has the unfinished business. They didn't get to say goodbye to their mother. Mm-hmm. They, they, and their mother shows up to say goodbye to them. That's typically the way that that works. So I think that there's some evolutionary purpose for us experiencing these types of things that pushes us out of our comfort zones, that reminds us that we don't know everything, and that there's still maybe some work to do to drive us for something better. And I think that that mass consciousness, that, that, that collective unconscious, whatever you want to call it, that cloud storage, I think that plays a part in a lot of what people are experiencing. Didn't Jung um, coin the term collective unconscious? I think that's his uh, yes. gig, right? And, and synchronicity, too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always thought that was a very interesting perspective. Uh, I heard somebody one time say that your brain doesn't generate you know, your consciousness. Your brain's an antenna tapping into the only consciousness there is. And we sure. just get a little sliver of it. And I was, sure. I, what an interesting perspective that is. I liked it. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and, hey, maybe it's both. Maybe it's a sender and a receiver. And when somebody experiences something really incredible, they shoot it up to the cloud so that it exists there and other people can pull that file if they need to. I don't know. I, I mean, I just have fun ideas. <laughs> and, and, and they, you know, that's, that's really it. I don't have any answers. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. I want to ask you guys about, um, cause you got, if people don't know, these guys also have a, a traveling museum that can fit in their car. That's really cool. It's got these <laughs> haunted objects and it's, it, there's some creepy stuff there for sure. But what have you guys dealt with? Like, you know, you always hear about things following people home and residual hauntings. Like wh- what have you guys experienced that was the most upsetting or freaky to you guys? Oh my gosh. So, I mean, I, <laughs> you know what? Before you, I know what you're going to talk about, but mm-hmm. but I want to I want to preface this by saying what sh- the story that she's about to start telling. You guys are directly responsible for that. Is absolutely a hundred. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. You guys are directly yeah. responsible for because this the the connections that we made on finding Bigfoot. So we hung out with um uh one of your one of your production guys, Chris. He was the one who drove that like cool Scooby Doo van around for us yes, the whole time, right. and oh, yeah. we were telling him all kinds of crazy stories about objects, like haunted objects and ghosts and things like that. So when he came across this story on Reddit from a couple hikers who found this thing in a cave, he was the one who jumped in and left a comment and said, "Hey, you should get in touch with mm-hmm. my friends Greg and Dana. So was, like, I just shot with them, and they deal with things like this." So I just thought that's an interesting 
the way the world works is is bizarre. We are the, to blame once again. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that that I we like talking about when it comes to the objects in the museum, and I think it's probably a good place to start. Really, is this idea that a majority of the things that people give us are we don't have any kind of experience with at all, and it is for whatever reason, and and us not having an experience with the object doesn't necessarily mean that the person who was in possession of it at one point in time didn't have an experience. There's just something in the exchange that uh, maybe it's a, a passing of, you know, a, a fear. Well, we think about it in terms of that as sort of, in a lot of cases, it's someone kind of compartmentalizing a fear into an object and by or trauma or a trauma. Yeah. And just by kind of handing it off to someone else, they, they psychologically even alleviate their need to kind of continue being afraid of that. And that's something that's really common with the museum. So a majority of the objects in our museum really aren't active. And, and we kind of will talk to people a lot that if you see people with tons and tons of haunted objects, you should probably be a little bit uh, suspicious, <laughs> especially if they're trying to sell them to you. Yes. <laughs> but every once in a while you do, you do come up against something that's legitimately strange. And, and the crone, which was an object that was in our museum was the first object that we actually had to return to its place of origin was one of those types of objects. It was, it was an object that there was no, if ands or buts there it was there was paranormal activity happening around this object and we experienced it multiple i mean tons of people experienced activity around it was and it the mask it, so the crone it was a, a small wooden uh fetish a small wooden uh uh object uh in the shape of a woman that was found uh. in a cave in the catskills and it had a noose around its neck and uh nails driven into the eyes and these two hikers uh, were off kind of the beaten path, picked up this object, found it in the cave, picked the object up, brought it home, and then instantly started to experience activity that ranged from wet footprints materializing in their house to their animals acting strangely, weird sounds and smells. And it kind of all boiled up to a point where at one point they saw the figure of a, a naked old woman in their house. And she, she was apparently dripping wet and just like the, the traditional imagery of what we would think of as the crone. That's and so, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, it was Chris who, who was reading a Reddit article where they had posted about finding this object and not knowing what to do. And Chris suggested that they get in touch with us. And that's how we became the caretakers of this object and we, we spent many years uh, documenting our own experiences, experiences that people had had. Initially, we were bringing her with us to events. So there, you know, people were having experiences at events. It, yeah, it, I saw it. And some people yeah. did have that when we were there. I, I, you guys were like, hold it. I was like, I'm not holding that thing. You know what? Oh, my God. I think that was the year. That, I think the I think year. Was, yeah. Holy, oh, my God. So that the year that we realized, oh, wow, we're going to have to take this thing back to mm -hmm. the mountain. We were at Michigan Paracon. This was the this was the final kind of straw with yeah. this object. Like we, this was the most. It was too far at this point. We were like, this is not a safe thing to travel with, and it's probably not safe for us to have in our possession either. We'd experienced so much stuff with it at this point that we were already nervous about it to the point where we wouldn't always take it out of the box, uh, depending on the crowd. Like if the crowd felt like they were grabby or touchy, because we didn't let people handle this one, which we we don't really care with most of the stuff. We want people to have an experience. But because we didn't know much about this, we were a little dicey about mm -hmm. letting people hold it. We wouldn't bring it out all the time. 
somebody had come from Canada, which isn't too far up there, but they, they made the effort to come to the event because they really wanted to see the crone. They'd heard us talk about it. They'd read about it. They'd seen pictures of it, but they wanted to see it in person. We were like, no, I really don't feel like it. I don't think it's the right time, but this person begged. So I looked at Dana and Dana's like, I guess it's fine just for a minute. Just quick. Just like, real quick. Open so the we box opened the box up. I pull it out of the pillowcase it was in in the box. And at that moment, it was like this electric force just sort of shoots all the way down the the right convention side aisle. of the convention aisle. And, and you could, the lights kind of swung and flickered. Uh, the woman across yeah. from us, her like, she had like a bottle of, of pop in it and it just burst and goes all over her books, ruins hundreds of dollars of books. People are looking all over the place trying to figure out like what is going on here. And then I see a guy, his eyes roll up in the back of his head. He, his, his head kicks back and he starts bleeding out of his mouth and has this terrible seizure and has to get, uh, like the EMS comes and takes him away. This all happened within like 30 seconds. If that, if that, and the guy who asked us to see the crone starts weeping and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Put it back, put it back, put it back. And that's when we said, you know, maybe this is a crazy coincidence, but I don't feel good about this anymore. I think this thing needs to go home. Mm-hmm. And we made plans uh, to to take it back to where it was from, to do a big unbinding ritual, to pull the nails and the noose out in sacred space, mold it so that we still had something to display, and then bury it. And Dana recruited, like Dana has an online coven, basically. And <laughs> there were like a hundred witches that did this ritual with us all over the world while we yeah. were up on that mountain. So we we wanted, one of the biggest things that we do with the museum is really just this idea of kind of like, it sounds silly, but it's sort of like supernatural conflict resolution. Like we don't ever, <laughs> it, if if we believe that there is some sort of an intelligence, some sort of some sort of a, a, an intelligence that's able to communicate with us, that's attached to an object or is has some sort of fixation with an object, then in a lot of ways we should have a responsibility as ethical people to like want to create some sort of conflict resolution so that mm-hmm. you know that if we're talking about a human being or a non-living person, then we really do have a responsibility as caretakers of these objects to, to try to find, figure out what to do, what if we can do anything. And so one of the goals with the crone, and it's kind of a goal with most of the objects in the museum is to really dig in uh, as far as our research goes and, and, try to understand, you know, culturally, where does this object come from? Uh, is it connected to f- any folklore? Is there, there's, you know, just a, a multiple different avenues that we'll take when it comes to the objects. So that was at this point, uh, something that was really important to the museum was the idea of having a museum quality replica, something that we could have that we could continue using as sort of a teaching, uh, tool, I guess. And so, uh, in order to do this ritual, we had to hike four or five miles up a mountain off the beaten path into, into the, uh, Catskills. Catskills. Yeah. The Catskills. And, um, and basically hold ritual space so that we could do the metaphysical side of it. But then there was also the, the just kind of mundane physical, physical side of it, which is molding this thing. So we had to live freezing weather. in freezing weather. <laughs> we had to carry hundreds of pounds of, of, 
you know, molding equipment with us. We had to have a separate tent just for the mold itself because the... Had to have a heater, not for us, but no. for the mold so that it would actually set up. Yeah. So <laughs> a huge, it was really a huge undertaking. And um, at the kind of peak of the, the ritual side of it, which was really just my part of the, the, in the night, I guess, uh, I, we did, we had a, a, a group of, uh, like-minded magic practitioners who uh, were all doing a, a version of the same ritual that we were doing. And it was really an incredible experience just to know that there were that many people out there that were kind of lending that, lending their energy in whatever uh, way, shape or form it was, but it was, it was a really beautiful thing. So anyway, to answer your question, <laughs> yeah. that's what we do when something follows us home. That's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> we, we return it back to wh- whence it came. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe anybody even took it out of the cave to begin with. A noose I know. around the neck and eyes like with nails in it. Wait, what the, kind of maniac would take would the, Oh, this set, this looks cool. I want to bring one, this home. No. <laughs> the one thing that we experience more often than not, I swear, are people who have never seen a horror movie in their entire <laughs> life. Like they have never... We're like, these are like horror tropes and you're falling into every single uh-huh. one of them. Yeah. 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 Let's split the party. Yeah. No. <laughs> hey, what do you guys think of Ouija boards? I think that a Ouija board is a really delightful way to speak to your own subconscious, a subconscious that has access to other planes of existence. And I think that people who get really freaked out about Ouija boards are probably just scared of what's rattling around inside their own head. It's the kind of, to a degree, I guess... It's one of the most frightening things in the world would be for people to reflect and <laughs> for have some of some us maybe sense of reflection. But I think that there's a there's so much fear around Ouija boards, and there's so much it's it's become such a symbol of sort of negativity. But it's I think in a lot of cases people projecting that onto a, a visual image that has kind of become the this this tool to communicate with. Uh, with evil spirits. Well, and I think it's channeling too. Like, sure. I, you know, I, I believe in channeling. I, I, we, we do it a lot. You know, the Estes method, we kind of talked about it earlier, that the, the blindfold and the, the headphones and the radio, that's a form of channeling. But I think that the Ouija board is too. I'm very aware of the skeptic argument with them, which is it's the idiomotor effect. It well, is. Duh. Yeah, of course. Of course <laughs> it is. A ghost doesn't have hands, yeah. right? Like it doesn't have a way to really manipulate stuff that way. So why wouldn't it use us as a vehicle to I- I- interpret messages? I think that it connects us to our subconscious. And I think some of us, our subconscious has the ability to connect to something bigger, greater, weirder. But I don't think that they're necessarily portals to hell. I think uh, unless your subconscious is is hellish, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, hellier than thou. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, how, what do you guys? What's your position on orbs? Have you ever seen them? And what do you think? Orbs are a tough one. I think for any any honest paranormal investigator, orbs are tough. They were very like a very big thing in the two, in the early two thousands in the the ghost hunting uh, space, and I think that orbs are one of those things that that I think far often or more often than not uh, what you're seeing is dust or, or some sort of moisture reflection. Mm -hmm. I mean, and at the same time, the unfortunate thing is I definitely think that, that you, you will sometimes people, especially in paranormal instances, I've seen them, Greg's seen them with our our naked eye, balls of light that, I mean, there it doesn't seem to be any kind of reflection. I think the difference be... is whether you see them with your naked eye. Yes. If you or, see something yes. strange like that with oh, your yeah. naked eye, yeah. that's one thing. But photographing but the photographs, it is too um, difficult to, to you know, rule there's, out. 
we get a lot of photographs yes. that are just clear, very clearly a lens flare mm-hmm. or a piece of dust reflecting off the or flash, a bug, especially moisture. if you're outside or if you're in a dust like again, a lot of places that people are investigating. I mean, more that you see with your naked eye. Oh, oh yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. I, we've both seen them on mm-hmm. numerous occasions, and I, I I think that they're very interesting. You know, I was just talking to Moneymaker this past week about uh, orbs in general, and he told me to look up earthquake lights. Oh, oh sure. It's actually a, a, ge- a geologic phenomenon. And I'm not um, sure how much of the paranormal or Bigfoot or whatever orbs can be attributed to that, but certainly some could, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, 100%. In fact, coming back to Dr. Michael Persinger, he actually used to investigate those types of lights because, again, there's that idea of geomagnetic electricity. Uh, 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 geomagnetic uh, phenomena, strange places that have, you know, whether it's tectonic plates grinding together that are, huge you know, those earthquake of, lights or huge deposits of quartz, deposits of quartz, um, weird things, a lot of holy places. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're places where there are strange geomagnetic anomalies. And they're because there's huge quartz deposits or or deposits of iron. Um, you know, funny enough, Kentucky itself, there's a spot like dead center in the middle of Kentucky that uh, is the geological survey refers to as the Kentucky anomaly. Mm-hmm. There's only like two or three places in the whole world. I think one of them's in Siberia. Another one might be in Alaska that have this type of anomaly where the geomagnetic field it it, it is so strong that it actually reaches to space. So maybe that's why there's so much weird stuff in Kentucky that people are experiencing. It's just frying their brains. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. So uh, you, you guys are in a, a lot of different things. There's, you have your, you're all over the place. Um, where will you not go? Mm. Oh, we don't do residential stuff. We don't do stuff. residential stuff. Yeah. And that's, I think... There's a lot of different reasons for that, and like and, hauntings in a house—is that what you mean? Or yeah, like like, like okay. someone's someone's home, or like if someone calls us in, you know, like they see people on television do. If they like, hey, I have a ghost in my house. It's it's hurting me, or it's hurting my kids. We try to stay away from that, except in extreme uh, circumstances. Because I think that, again, I think there's a psychological component to a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Neither of us are psychologists. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a college dropout. It, <laughs> I'm, it, I'm not going to fix <laughs> a, 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 an emotional or mental problem for someone. And yeah. I don't ever want to be involved in making one worse. It's like genuinely frightening to me to think that people are going into other people's homes without proper training. Proper training is in like, you know, having like a mental health expert with you and having it be like a very safe, uh, a safe environment for not only for the client, but for the people that are there, because more often than not, they're, they're very, 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 uh, I don't want to use the word dangerous because it's not the word. Well, I think, I think, you know, people who are experiencing trauma, you know, when you, when you look at a lot of, when you look at a lot of people who experience uh, extreme paranormal phenomena, so where people are getting hurt, um, they're very, very scared. I think there's underlying psychological issues that that are usually in need of addressing, mm-hmm. and I think that that relates a lot to poltergeist phenomena. You know, it used to be that a lot of uh, parapsychologists believed that it was you know kids going through puberty, anyone going through big changes in their lives, things like that. I think. Um, in that case, a lot of hauntings, I think you can make go away by going to therapy. Yeah. That's not to say that that haunting wasn't physically real. Uh, it's it's that inner trauma 
I believe, can manifest outwardly too. Especially, again, there's that idea of something that's sort of built in that pushes you to fix something. I think the the other thing too to consider is when you're, when you're talking about like residential investigations, the there should be a, an enormous responsibility on the behalf of the investigators because you're going into someone's home and you're you're uh, you're investigating it, but it, it's also you're 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 whipping everything kind of up and 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 causing potentially more harm than or in than the worst began. case you're you're telling someone that they have a demon or yeah. something and they're really taking because they see you as an authority figure mm-hmm. and they're taking that very seriously and that only makes things worse sure. so. We're really only interested in screwing ourselves up. <laughs> we as long as we're the only ones in danger, <laughs> yeah. we're all good. We can handle it. <laughs> Very noble of you. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I also don't want to be sued. Yeah, we don't want to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine that lawsuit? They, you know, like trying to see someone in court over demons and this and that would be a pretty, pretty funny. That would be a, a pretty... I For just, everyone else, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So as far as the demon things go, because, you know, Melissa, of course, is a huge horror movie fan. Um, yeah. And uh, I've had to just get over my my thing with horror movies, and I'm much more comfortable <laughs> with them now. And I really wasn't that kind of guy. But, you know, I, I was like, good oh, job, Mel. Her, I'd watch anything. <laughs> nice work, Mel. <laughs> I'd do anything for her. And, and part of that is watching this endless slew of horror movies. And, so, uh, and um, there's a whole, one of the main themes, I guess, besides just ghosts or whatever, there's all these demons sort of haunting, de- demons and devils and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that is only for the religiously inclined? Uh, in a word, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I don't, I think... I think people who aren't religiously inclined will probably be steered in that direction by people who are sure. religiously inclined. And yeah. that's part of the reason why we're very... As, as practicing occultists, yeah. the paranormal community <laughs> is a terrifying place. Yes. And a lot, we, the level of religious intolerance is, is pretty face-melting. And like the conversations around demons and demonic attachments and... and How you get them yeah, in particular. It, it, it's it's endlessly frustrating for the both of us. And, and it's mainly just because it's a lot of people pushing their religious beliefs on other people. And, and well, I think it's a horror movie trope. too. So I think that a lot of people who maybe experience something scary immediately go to somewhere that their brain says, well, Oh, it must be a demon. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's, I think it's probably, you know, in all honesty, mostly a religious thing, but also a pop culture thing. And there's just no escaping it. You think there aren't demons? I think that we should be more careful about the baggage we give to things we don't understand. So it's and a I semantic think, thing. Yeah, I think I'm really, it really, and I wasn't always this way. Like I grew up reading books by Ed and Lorraine Warren. Like they were all like pro Catholic, like everything, every bump in the night is a demon kind of deal. Um, I was raised Baptist. My dad was a Baptist minister and, you know, lights oh, in the sky. Right. They were, you know, it was Lucifer trying to trick us, all that type of thing. So I come from that background, but the longer that I'm in this and the, and the more seriously I take it, the more conscious I am of the idea that if we truly are being honest about the idea that ghosts might have an intelligence, that these, these entities, these intelligences have some form of intelligence, we have to give them credit that people aren't just good or bad. Mm-hmm. People have the decision to be good or bad. Yeah. So to put, to lump that on anything that shows any kind of sign of intelligence 
animals that bite people have not been trained or been trained not not so great. So any level of intelligence, we have a choice. We have a choice. And I think that, that if we're being good people, we have to extend that level of knowledge to things that scare us too. Because if you can learn to not be afraid of the monster that's under your bed, being friends with the guy who has a different religious belief than you ain't nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a good way to kind of change how you see the world is to change, ask yourself, why does this thing scare me? What, what, why am I afraid of this? Is it because someone or something told me to be afraid of this? And if that's the case, you need to, you know, reassess uh, the situation, reassess why you believe these things. So I think that, you know, demon is a loaded word. Yeah. And it, it, it comes with the idea of evil. And yeah. I don't really believe that anyone who is intelligent uh, doesn't have the choice about what they decide to be. So a lot of cultural baggage essentially goes along with the semantic issues of these loaded words. Um, and now, so as far as cultures go, if, if ghosts, whatever that is, mm-hmm. uh, whatever they are, if ghosts have an intelligence, do they also, are, are they also culturally bound? Are, are they seeing through the veil of their own culture, whatever that is or whatever that was? Or do you find it that they're free of that? I mean, people have been seeing ghosts in all cultures since recorded history. Like, they're, they're typically seen as uh, the dead. Uh, that's, that's the usual case. You know, but there are other cases where they are, uh, you know, they're called gods or they're called demons. Or, you know, sometimes they're just uh, like ascended masters or whatever you want to call them. Um, a lot of the traits stay the same. I think it's just like, you know, like you're saying, it depends on your culture. It depends on how you've been taught to interpret those things, but it's like that with everything. So I think the more you can take those steps backwards, the more you can take a step back and you can question why you feel the way you do about something or why somebody else, that's a big part of, of paranormal investigation too, is why is this person interpreting what's happening this way? And we do the same thing with with objects. When we get an art- artifact in, we try and figure out, you know, what's the cultural source of this artifact? When did people start being scared of this thing? When did this start? Mm-hmm. Um, is this haunted clown doll? Is it because the person's afraid of clowns? Like, sure. It's it's uh, basically like reverse engineering hauntings all the time. And it really does come down to cultural differences and societal differences. It makes me think of a piece of advice that we'll give to people often, which is, you know, often you'll hear people, Greg and I are big, big fans of the idea of empowerment and the idea that like when we experience these things, whether they're strange and they're frightening, we should still to a degree be empowering one another and not relying on someone else to fix this problem for you. And one of the biggest things that we come up against often are people who are having weird experiences in their homes or they're helping someone who has a weird experience in their homes or in their home. And, and they will uh, instantly call a priest, bring in a priest, (laughs) have the priest bless the house, clear the house. And yet the client isn't Catholic or the client isn't Christian. Maybe the client is Buddhist. And so you're bringing in, religious iconography but you're also bringing in a person whose religion doesn't align with the person whose ownership owns the property who should be becoming empowered so it's it's always that it's like nuance every i think having like throwing these blanket ideas around and and not approaching each and every one of these investigations or experiences with a a very distinct level of nuances Mm -hmm. you lose so much of the experience and and 
And again, often in those cases, we see that empowerment be taken away from the person and given to some some person, some other person or some other religious religion or some other, whatever it is, when really there's mostly beneficial is, is when you can remind someone that, that they're in control mm-hmm. of the, of their situation. And that's, it's that and they're feeling in control of their interpretation, and their interpretation of it. Of it. Exactly. And, and Cliff, you, you kind of nailed it already when you said ghosts, you know, whatever those are. Yeah. I, I don't know what a ghost is. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that they're demons or dead people. I don't know what they are, but because of where we're, where we live and where we were born, when you say ghost, people think, oh, dead people, Mm -hmm. you know? So we try sometimes to use other like intelligence or, or non-living things, whatever. Yeah. But, um, sometimes it's easier to say ghost. It just, (laughs) it just comes with baggage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Run into that sort of thing all the time. Culture is not our friend. You know, they kind of tell, (laughs) it kind of dictates an awful lot to us. And most people don't even realize that they are the fish swimming in the water of culture. Um, They're just so, they're just, it's just part of who they are. But if you can transcend that a little bit and just become a little bit more self-aware and internally um, objectively observant, you can realize that, yeah, culture tells you what is acceptable and what is not, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But it's all, it's all, you know, BS at the end of the day. It's all made up rules by somebody else and you're subjected to it now. Um, and language has a lot to do with that as well, but I could go on and on. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, that's, it doesn't just affect, uh, every other part of our lives. It affects the way that people interpret strange things that happen to them too. And yeah, builds reality essentially. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We're all, and I was saying this to Dana the other day, you, you sometimes meet someone and you know, oh, we live in different realities. And that really is a hard thing to overcome. Um, especially when, you know, you do what any of us do, and you kind of wade into some very strange realities sometimes, <laughs> finding common ground and, you know, kind of rebuilding language with someone yeah. to try and understand each other better. It's it's difficult. Um, yeah, you know, I was watching this comedian the other night on, you know, some Netflix split special, and he, he uh, asked something about the crowd about, um, you know, some political thing. It doesn't even matter what. And and there were clearly conflicting political views in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And um, and he said, no, you got to try to understand. They, they just have a different algorithm is all that is, you know, oh. and at the end of the day, they have a different algorithm that they're, you know, they're clicking on some stuff and that feeds them their garbage and they believe it. Just like I click on my stuff and it feeds me my garbage and I believe it. Um, <laughs> and if we can only just realize that they're just being a victim to their specific algorithm, then we can learn how to build compassion and love towards one another and accept each other a little bit better, you know? And I think that's a wonderful, uh, metaphor, I guess, uh, especially in that. today's yeah. situation, you know, today's world mm-hmm. that we've inherited. It's like, yeah, man, it's just cause you got a different algorithm going on doesn't mean that I can't see eye to eye with you. Well, or I, I can't try to see eye to eye with you or at least understand where you're coming from or build compassion towards you because those algorithms, whatever, whatever words you want to use, whether it's the Facebook algorithm feeding you the same nonsense that, you know, people who think like you do or whatever, they don't realize that that is the, um, the feedback cycle. That is the feedback mm-hmm. itself. And we all do that, whether it's Facebook or whether it's, you know, um, culture or religion or whatever, whatever system that we find ourselves playing in, it's a feedback loop feeding us mm-hmm. what we already think. Um, it, it's mm-hmm. good to speak to other people who are, think other things just cause you can, it's, it's good for mm-hmm. your flexing your human muscle of getting along with uh-huh. others. Yeah, right? You know what? It's also good to remind yourself, too, that you're the one who feeds the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Right. You are the one who feeds it. So be careful. You know, it's what they say. Be careful what you wish for. 
Because yeah, be careful what you think. You might end up uh, believing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, in, in these weird, wild world of COVID that we're living in right now, um, do you have any gigs coming up in the future? Any appearances where people can come meet you in person or otherwise? Or what's going on with you guys in the near and not so distant future? Well, it's been a, it's been a rough time to have a museum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, we, uh, you know, our museum is, is strictly traveling. So uh, a lot of our events have kind of gone up in smoke. They're starting to come back. There's a few here and there. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that we've been, we, we, like many other people who love going to events and love meeting people and, and love hanging out with our friends and, and, and seeing them at events, um, we've tried to figure out a way to replicate that idea uh, in, in the digital space uh, where everyone's comfortable. And so a couple years ago, we started doing this thing called PhenomenaCon, and it was just a way for us to have some laughs, bring in people who really influence the way that we feel about the paranormal and the supernatural and the unexplained. And uh, it was as a way for our friends who normally are traveling around the country with us, selling their books, um, giving lectures, a way for them to do that too. And uh, we put on this uh, three-day conference that was so much fun and realized, well, wow, there's a lot of people who never get to go to conferences even when we're not going through a global pandemic. People who you know, maybe have social anxiety or can't travel, that type of thing. And after we did that first PhenomenaCon, we said, we need to keep doing this. So we uh we're doing another one at the end of the month and we have a bunch of really amazing people who are speaking dane and i are both speaking we are um dana is going to talk what are you talking about i'm going to talk a little bit about uh witchcraft and paranormal investigation and how the two can be uh lovely friends as far as paranormal <laughs> investigation goes uh and uh, i'm going to talk about egregores for fun and profit we talked a little bit about <laughs> egregores earlier and uh we even have you cliff you're going to come and you're going to talk about bigfoot and yeah. I am Very so awesome. stinking excited so about cool. it. We're, uh, it's going to be great. Um, it's going to be another three-day event. It takes place between the 25th and the 27th. Um, and it's just a – we keep joking about how it's the only paranormal conference you can attend in your underwear without getting kicked exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> to be fair, I usually wear underpants at all the paranormal conferences. <laughs> oh, all right. We're getting, we're getting with semantics. Pants are optional. <laughs> pants, it's a pants optional yes. paranormal conference. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'll be sure to not wear any pants. <laughs> Fantastic. Solidarity. Me either. Yes. <laughs> you got to get Tom well, Powell to speak to balance out Cliff. <laughs> Dude, I I love great, Tom yeah. Powell. I meant to say earlier, um, his his book. I can't remember the title of it the off locals, the top of my head. The locals no, or edges of science. Edges of science. That book uh, was fantastic and really uh, helped me shape the way that I th think about things like Bigfoot. So, uh, huge recommendation from uh, Paranormal Weirdo over here. We should do it for a book of the. Um, yeah, we should do that for book club sometime. Mm -hmm. but yeah, I absolutely love that book. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, if you're ever out, if you're ever out this side of the continent, man, I'm happy to put you guys together. Tom's a, one of my best friends. In fact, I'm having dinner with he and his wife on Wednesday. So, oh yeah, my see, gosh, see so each cool. other kind of a lot whenever I can, at least. Well, Lucky. please send send my compliments and and absolutely when whenever out there, I would love to uh, pick his brain for a while. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I'd love to. Then that's a dinner I want to attend. <laughs> 
Pants optional. No, <laughs> it's like every other dinner with Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Yeah. So PhenomenaCon is uh, end of the month, and um, there's people talking about everything from magic and voodoo and astrology and the sociology of paranormal experiences. Uh, it's super fun, and we always joke that everyone should save up their book money because a lot of people are going to buy books it's and merch true. and stuff from everybody. So now, is this only open to you? You have a thriving Patreon. Like, you guys are the model for Patreon. Like, you guys, the, the community <laughs> you have built, the community of enthusiasts and participants in what you're doing is just unrivaled, I think. You know, I modeled my Patreon after you guys. Aww. I said, well, but, you know, the, they, they, you guys know what you're doing and, and you give real value to your members in a way that I don't, I don't, I don't think very many other groups or individuals do. Um, and, and I wanted to try to do something for my museum members. And it's, it's honestly because of you guys that I'm at all successful cool. with my museum membership. Aww, uh, but cool. is this phenomenon a con? Is it, uh, is it only open to your museum members or is this something that anybody can participate in? Well, anyone can participate in it. It's, it's something that we started doing. You know, we, we, we don't really sell tickets, so to speak. It's something that we started doing really for our museum members as like something we can do once a year. That's like a big event we can all get excited about and, and replicate that conference experience. Uh, so the way that you can attend is if you join our, our Patreon, it's, uh, it's like $15 a month to, to, to join. But if you want to just join for the conference, you can leave afterwards. That's totally cool. I mean, obviously, we hope people see value and stick around and, and explore yeah. the archives. But We do all sorts of uh, experiments and live streams. And we really try – I think the biggest thing for Greg and I has always really been just to try to create a community and a space that – is really inclusive and fun, but it's sort of a place that we wanted to have when we were kids. Yeah. Just that a really open-minded place with lots of wonderful weirdos and um, and people that are really excited about talking about strangeness and, mm -hmm. and their own experiences with it. And so, yeah, the whole goal is really always to kind of create a space that we would have been super psyched mm -hmm. about if we, when we were younger and looking for like-minded people who were thinking the same or, or different ideas, but, but in a safe kind of environment. And if, uh, if you only, I mean, if you're interested in it and you only stick around for the conference, um, 15 bucks for the yeah, quality of speakers of and entertainment that you get. It's, you can't beat it. It's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty great deal. No hotel costs, some? no airfare costs. No. Yeah, man. It's great. It's great. Every seat's VIP. Yep. <laughs> That's it. Is there, a no virtual, is there a virtual cocktail lounge at night? <laughs> there actually, actually there is. is. <laughs> yeah. We actually, uh, we have an after hours thing where we all just kind of sit around and, and get bombed and play games. And yeah. sometimes like last, last year's we had, uh, we had twin temple. I don't know if either of you are familiar with them. They are a, they're a satanic doo-wop doo band. <laughs> they're amazing. Oh, they're incredible. Uh, and they played and they were, they were fantastic. Yeah. So we, we mix it up every year. Yeah. Well, it was a real honor and pleasure to have you guys on the show tonight. I know you guys are well-loved in the paranormal community. Um, and and well outside the us. paranormal community. And I the love Bigfoot them. community also. <laughs> well, we yeah, love so you guys. Some of my faves, man. I mean, it's to the point now where, sure, I like meeting people and I like talking to people at Bigfoot conventions and stuff like that. But really, these what I miss more than anything about this uh, um, the, the the pandemic deal is not seeing my friends like you guys, yeah. man. It's, 
there's a real hole in my life now that I don't see like you and a handful of other people very often because yeah. these events aren't happening. So it's a, more than a pleasure to have you on. Well, we, uh, we feel the same way about you guys. Um, like I said, not blowing smoke when I say that, you know, hanging out with you guys, uh, in Mount Shasta was like one of the high you watermarks the you absolutely of, uh, the of, of, of fun for us when it comes to television stuff. So, uh, and, and, you know, we have you guys to thank for really setting us off on a television career and giving us one of the scariest haunted <laughs> artifacts we've ever dealt with. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> in, indirectly at least. So thank you guys. Yeah. And you, you guys got us, and you guys are the reason we got involved in the paranormal conventions and all that. Cause you, you hooked me up with, uh, Lee and Jen Kirkland mm-hmm. and, as my management. And then they got me in on some of those paranormal conferences and all Then they, now they represent like Meldrum and Lauren and Lyle Blackburn and Moneymaker, Moneymaker, Cliff. Money oh, God, yeah. what have we done? <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> guys. <laughs> it all links back to you guys. No. Well, that's so cool. Well, we love you guys. And, Thank you so much. Uh, this yeah. is a long time coming. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, thanks oh, for coming on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. It's going to be great. Thank you so much. Good luck, you guys. All right, folks. Thanks again for listening. Check out uh, Greg and Dana. Thank you, Cliff. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 